Today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He who rescued us from so deadly a peril will continue to rescue us. On him we have set our hope that he will rescue us again, as you also join in helping us by your prayers, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. Indeed, this is our boast, the testimony of our conscience. We have behaved in the world with frankness and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and all the more towards you. For we write to you nothing other than what you can read and also understand. I hope you will understand until the end, as you have already understood us in part, that on the day of the Lord Jesus, we are your boast, even as you are our boast. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to use Paul to hide my thermos back there. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan Park Grant. I joined this community, church community, when it first started for about four years, and then I was away for eight years and came back. It's been about 14 years since that, so you can add it up and see if the math works out. Um, And I need to turn on the clicker. Oh, we practiced this ahead of time, Jim. Am I hitting the right thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, we went way ahead. There we are. We're, you know... Reading this book by the uh, Apostle Paul, as he was called in the Greek world, or Shaul, as he was known in the Jewish world he grew up in. And it's hard to believe that it was over a year ago that we were reading Romans backwards. And, you know, that book is Paul saying, this is my gospel. I am not ashamed of it because it's a power of God for salvation, first for the Jew, also for the Greek. 2 Corinthians is Paul saying, this is my life, for good and for bad. And if you read 2 Corinthians backwards, it's Paul saying, open wide your hearts to us, to me and Timothy and the others, just as we've opened our hearts to you. So I brought this icon, which was painted, no, not painted, what's the word? Written. Written. Thank you, by our own Sharon Hinthornawani, and given to me as a gift, uh, because she knows my love for Brother Shaw. Uh, But if you have, you know, hard time opening up your heart to Paul, then you can just look at this the whole time. You don't have to listen to me and see what comes. 
Oh, it went the wrong way. There we go. Last week, Pastor Phil talked about the God of all comfort, consolation, encouragement, and all of these green words in the passage right before what, we, what Bora read just now. And this week, we're going to talk about the shadow side of that, which is that all of this is only being talked about because of trials, trials, sufferings, trials, sufferings, sufferings. And that's, you know, what he continues on into as we, uh, you know, go into the passage Bora read. The trials we have undergone in the province of Asia, the burden that was laid on us, we despaired, we were under sentence of death. And it's, kind, you know, because the book starts with this sort of like, oh, happy, comfort, consolation, you sort of might kind of lose track in those first few verses until you get to everything that happens later of like how this is Paul trying to make sense of all of the bad things that have, have happened to him and find the purposes of God. So that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, but, you know, since he says the province of Asia, where's that? I have a laser pointer right there. Um, and particularly he was in Ephesus Corinth over here, right in the middle of the world that Paul knew, and, uh, you know, I I remember joking when we did Romans that, like, this map is in the back of every Bible that you grew up in in church and looked at when the pastor was super boring, so same thing, if you have a Bible and just want to look at the map, that's cool, too, Um, and, but, but these, all these lines are based upon the best we can figure out from reading Acts. But Acts doesn't have everything in it. So as Pastor Phil was telling us, Paul probably went back and forth here a few times. Um, and these letters that we're reading are, are part of that correspondence. But to go on, you know, what, what, does he, what does he go on to say? What, what are the other red words in 2 Corinthians? And I've deliberately taken out some of the green ones just so the force of it can hit you. Uh, distress, anguish. Triumphal procession. That one may not seem as obvious. We'll come back to that, what, what that means. Troubled, perplexed, persecuted, knocked down, dying, death, troubles, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, overwork, lack of sleep, and food. That's page one. Page two. Death, punished, sad, poor, having nothing, troubles, altercations, apprehensions. A thorn- oh, now we got the devil in there too, the adversary, pounding away. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. And then this one is like the, you know, the, the one that needs its own page. I won't even, I won't even read it. Uh, so much going on there. Uh, so Paul, when he talks about his gospel, it is not the prosperity gospel. So that's why I call it the anti-prosperity gospel. And I think, you know, I, I think it's worth remembering that Paul had to fight for that idea. I mean, I know certain, certain streams of the church will always be prone to the prosperity gospel, but there's also a pretty well-developed stream that we're aware of, right, that, that knows it's not true that everything going well in your life means God is happy with you and, and vice versa, Right? But that was not obvious to the people Paul was writing to. 
And he has to explain in this letter why you can't think that way, why you have to find the purposes of God in something else besides whether your life is going well or, or not. And that even some of the ways in which he may seem so strident in defending himself are because he won that argument, right? That we, that we actually learned the lesson. Some of us, some, in some ways, um, but he, he had to establish that point in the, in the church, and it's part of what he's doing in this letter. So how does Paul perceive the glorious purposes of God when everything goes... Ran out of room. This, I'm, I'm not going to spend a, lo- a long time on this one because it's what Pastor Phil was talking about last week and that, and that we you know, saw at the beginning. We serve other believers. And it's kind of in this you know, bizarre experience that Paul is talking about. It's a win-win. Because one, one of two things will happen. Either other believers will go through things that are similar to what you went through, and you can comfort and encourage them because you went through it. Or they won't have to go what you went through, and that you took one for the team. And, you know, you, you bore the suffering so that other people could live in joy, could carry on good work. And I'll just, you know, I was just just thinking of various situations where I know, like, when that thing really goes wrong for you, Phil mentioned some last week, um, you know, painful even even to name, uh, divorce, cancer being laid off that usually you know most of us can kind of go praying for you God bless let me know if you need anything and there's some people who can just come take your hand look in your eyes and you know that they know. It's only possible because we went through it, because we experienced it. And does that make it worth it to go through those things? Not in any normal way that you'd think about that, right? So this is le- I guess this, this is less about sort of like justifying. Like, why do we go through pain? Why do, why do things not work out? And it's more about, well, when it happens, where do you actually see the good? Where, if you're looking, can you say, well, I still don't know why it happened. I still have my questions. But I see that this blessing came out of it. Uh, and we'll talk more at the end about uh, sharing, that, sharing that blessing with one another. Uh, Let's go back to this one. The Messiah constantly leads us in a triumphal procession. That makes it sound like we're all in the parade together, right? No. The Roman triumph 
this is the, the Arch, of, Arch of Titus at the, at the end of the forum. Uh, here's a picture that gives you a little bit uh, more appreciation for its size. There's Matias taking his selfie. Is, is taking a selfie with your mouth open a thing these days, or is that just my kid? Just my kid? I don't know. We, we have like a hundred you know, pictures of, of him with his mouth. Okay, that's not the same arch. Uh, that's George Washington's arch. But this arch depicts the, it's not the arch that Titus went through, it's the arch that was built to commemorate Titus's triumph. And Titus is the general who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. So Paul did, Paul did not know about this or his heart would have broken even more. Uh, it happened maybe 15-ish years after these letters that we're, that we're writing. And that's the relief today. This, this is uh, you know, a, a recreation of what it might have looked like at the time when it was whole and, and painted. And what we have here, the people in the, in the long togas and the purple are the ones who are celebrating the triumph. Uh, you know, yay, we won. And the people in the, uh, you know, with the with the bare legs, carrying all the stuff that was pulled out of the destroyed temple, are the slaves. They're the captives. They're prisoners of war. Doesn't doesn't do it justice because there's no Geneva Convention. They are going to be killed after they carry the stuff back to Rome. And one reason Paul doesn't say a lot more about this in 2 Corinthians, he kind of goes on to another point there, is that he had uh, said quite a bit about it in the, uh, one of his prior letters. Apparently I'm supposed to tell you that I think there were only three Corinthian letters. Pastor Phil thinks there's four. I think there were at least five. <laughs> But he, he, he made this point in a prior letter that God has been placing us emissaries, apostles, on display at the tail end of the triumph, the people who are in the, in the place actually of the greatest shame, like men condemned to die in the public arena, become a spectacle of shame before the whole universe for the Messiah's sake. So this is a strange thing to get a hold of. How does our shame contribute to the glory of God? Because the triumph is for the victorious general, the, the emperor. You know, he's, he's the one who's saying, you know, look at me and all I've done. And we can... Don't have time to really get into thinking about like how that's like or unlike what is often called the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, where look, your king comes to you humble and riding on a colt, as opposed to in a chariot with one, two, three, four horses. And of course, then Paul in other places makes the point that. Jesus in his death and resurrection has triumphed over every earthly and spiritual spiritual power. 
but let me go back to the back to the, yeah that one. How does our shame lead to the glory of God? Shame or weakness or or pain. Uh, I didn't get permission to tell anyone's health story, so I won't. But I think most of you know that hepatitis, cancer, other things people have gone through, and we've given great praise to God for his deliverance. Again, from the perspective of the person going through it, is that like, oh, well, then great. I'm, ha- I'm so happy this happened to me. I don't know. I'm not going to say that. But given that it did happen, God got the glory. I was also thinking, or actually I was, I was asking Ann about this, and she, the first thing that came to mind for her was career decisions, the way that we may have chosen for some things that didn't maximize our income or our worldly reputation because of, the, um, because of some way that we perceived that following God meant something different. And I, I can kind of get that. Like even last night I was in a LinkedIn conversation as I was trying to prepare this uh, because an old colleague had reached out to me. And the conversation kind of turned to basically him saying, like, why are you still at Guidewire? Uh, you know, when I got out of there, I got a better job, I would get paid more, I have more responsibility, we move faster. Um, you know, I mean, it wasn't quite as pointed, but that was sort of what was, what was behind it. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know, is it just Stockholm Syndrome? <laughs> is, is God, like, how much is it? that I had a chance to be involved in this Thurgood Marshall Innovation Challenge with uh, historically black colleges and university students um, or got to shepherd my team or see something through to completion. I don't know, but I had a a little tinge of shame of like, oh, somebody else more successful or thinks I'm not making the most of what I could be doing. But, and, and coming from Asian American perspective, talked about um, Asian Americans who go into ministry professions or you know, maybe, maybe other things like, like teaching that aren't the doctor, lawyer, engineer, and the kind of weight of that family shame that you didn't really make as much of your life as you could have should have and then even like it's it's kind of okay in the end if you have a successful ministry right if you can at least point and say well they have this many people in their church or their or their student chapter or whatever and but what if what if it's shrinking what if you're there being faithful and you don't have results that you can point to? How much does that seep in? And yet God is being 
So that was number two. In the midst of our troubles, all the glory goes to God, whose Messiah leads the triumph. Third thing, in the midst of this sentence of death, we must rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Hope of the resurrection has to underpin the entire Christian life. Because as Paul's life illustrates so well, you may get rescued one time, you may get rescued two times, you may get rescued three times, eventually you're not going to get rescued. And you have to say, even if this kills me, it's going to be worth it. Not in some stoic sense, but in the sense of behind it all, there's God who can raise me, can raise my hopes, can raise the people I care about, and that's my ultimate rest. As I was thinking about this one, it was something for me that's a little more subjective, because there's, there's other things that I could point to in my life in, in terms of uh, I don't know, I went in for surgery to find out if I had pancreatic cancer. Turned out not to. Financial setbacks. Um, you know, relatives in trouble with the law. The things that would you know, sort of more obviously be like, oh, that was a trial, right? You know what it was for me? Having kids. Yeah, I still had some hair that you could put toys in at the, at the time, too. Um, and I just want to apologize for anyone out there who's wanted kids and couldn't have them or where this is more complicated, because this is part of the problem, right? You're supposed to be grateful for your kids. They're supposed to be your greatest joy. Um, but I had just enough awareness to know that it was going to kill me. So, like, you know, when, when we first got married, Anne was like, I'm not ready to have, have, have kids yet. And then two years later, it was like, I can't believe we were pregnant this month. When's it going to happen? So she went from not ready to ready. For me, it was like, are you ready to have kids? Are you ready to die? Well, you know, not really, but as much as I'll ever be. And I literally stepped into it because I believe in the resurrection. You think I'm joking, but this was like conscious in my mind at the time. And the problem is I was right. It killed me because, you know, some of you are old enough to remember this. I used to be a guy who would go travel anywhere, climb things, take my friends to TV shows, play sports, watch sports, attend sports. When I wanted to. That's the thing. I'm a selfish SOB. And when you have kids, you can't do everything that you want to do with your own life. And 
You know, this is where I stop and say, like, yes, I love my boys. I like my boys. I like them better than your kids. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but how do you separate that from, or explain that when it's like, but I'm, my life isn't what I, isn't what I want it to be. And it was really hard on our marriage because Anne's normal. <laughs> And so, you know, dealing with somebody, going through that is, is just bizarre, and you feel rejected. And, you know, I went through the worst depression. We moved, you know, I mentioned we moved back up here in 2010. It was to come back to this community because I was dying. And that was like my best grasp at what I could do about it because our church community in L.A. had fallen apart. We had some friends, but it just wasn't working. And so I came back to try to uh, go back to... That was about two years after we moved back, so I still had that look on my face. Some of you may remember. And, you know, I I wish I could say that I found some special grace or, like, I have a lesson for how to get through it. I don't. It's just years that were really hard for me when Anne would come home and find the bottle of milk that had fallen out of the fridge still on the floor because I was just like, this just too symbolic. Just walked away, not even going to clean it up. I don't know, maybe I'm getting too weird on you, but... You know, this is is a case where, thankfully, boys grow up. I can experience the resurrection in this life because now we climb stuff together. We were at Pinnacles last week instead of listening to Phil in real time. <laughs> now they are ahead of us on the, on the path. So, you know, I give thanks to God who raises the dead. There's also things that are never going to be fixed in this life. I'm Whatever's coming to mind for you right now, we have to believe in God who raises the dead. Ultimately, us. Last thing. Often we are rescued. And he will rescue us again. And you must add your help by praying for us For the more people there are praying, the more what? Here's how I would finish the sentence. The more chance there is of the prayer being answered. 
right? Oh, we got to get everyone to pray so that the outcome comes out the way the way we need. We need we need more more people pulling on the on the rope, and we'll win. It's not anywhere close to what Paul actually says. The more people there will be to give thanks when their prayer for us is answered by coming near to people by praying with them there's more joy there's more praise when God does rescue think about that as a justification for prayer ministry uh, you know, yeah you could pray it out on your own and, and you'll be fine don't need those prayer ministers but if you come to us more people to give thanks when your prayer is, is answered And in dealing with the world, with one another, with frankness, godly pureness of motive, not by worldly wisdom, but by God-given grace, no hidden meanings, we're not trying to trick you. Ultimately, on the day of the Lord Jesus, you can be proud of us as we are of you. That we give praise to God for God's rescuing. We also give praise to God for who we are together and what we see in one another and what we've become. I like this verse that's later in 2 Corinthians because it kind of brings... All, all that together, the uh, that it's you know for others that it's that it's resurrection that thanksgiving overflows that the glory goes to God all those things that we talked about and that is why we do not lose courage even when outer things waste away something's being built inside us inside our community as the people of God. And it's only in that context that you can say that our light and transient troubles are achieving for us an everlasting glory whose weight is beyond description. Let's pray. God, give us eyes to... See your purpose, whatever happens in life. Not to explain it away, or to say it doesn't matter, it's, or you know, it's all fine, but just to be able to see the good things that do actually happen when we go through sorrow and pain and disappointment and weakness. Have mercy.